Chapter 12 of The Inimitable Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Inimitable Jews by P.G. Wodehouse. Bingo has a bad good wood. I'd promised to meet young Bingo next day to tell him what I thought of his infernal Charlotte and I was mooching slowly up St. James Street, trying to think how the dickens I could explain it to him, without hurting his feelings. That I considered her one of the world's foulest, when who should come toddling out of the Devonshire Club but old Bittlesham and Bingo himself. I hurried on and overtook them. What ho, I said. The result of this simple greeting was a bit of a shock. Old Bittlesham quivered from head to foot like a pole-axed, Black mange. His eyes were popping, and his face had gone sort of greenish. Mr. Wooster, he seemed to recover somewhat, as if I wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to him. You gave me a severe start. Oh, sorry. My uncle, said young Bingo in a hushed bedside sort of voice, isn't feeling quite himself this morning. He's had a threatening letter. I go in fear of my life, said old Bidilsham threatening letter written said old bittlesham in an uneducated hand and couched in terms of uncompromising menace mr wooster do you recall a sinister bearded man who assailed me in no measured terms in hyde park last sunday i jumped and shot a look at young bingo the only expression on his face was one of grave kindly concern why uh yes i said uh, bearded man chap with a beard could you identify him if necessary? Well, I, er, how do you mean? The fact is, Bertie, said Bingo, we think this man with the beard is at the bottom of all this business. I happened to be walking late last night through Ponsby Gardens, where Uncle Mortimer lives, and as I was passing the house, a fellow came hurrying down the steps in a furtive sort of way. Probably he had just been shoving the letter in at the front door. I noticed that he had a beard. I didn't think any more of it, however, until this morning when Uncle Mortimer showed me the letter he had received and told me about the chap in the park. I'm going to make inquiries. The police should be informed, said Lord Bittlesham. No, said young Bingo firmly, not at this stage of the proceedings. It would hamper me. Don't you worry, Uncle. I think I can track this fellow down. You leave it all to me. I'll pop you into a taxi now, and go and talk it over with Bertie. You're a good boy, Richard, said old Bittlesham, and we put him in a passing cab and pushed off. I turned and looked young Bingo squarely in the eye. Did you send that letter? I said. Rather. You ought to have seen it, Bertie. One of the best gent's ordinary threatening letters I ever wrote. But where's the sense of it? Bertie, my lad, said Bingo taking me earnestly by the coat-sleeve. I had an excellent reason. Posterity may say of me what it will, but one thing it can never say, that I had not a good solid business head. Look here, he waved a bit of paper in front of my eyes. Great Scott! Was a check, an absolute dash check for fifty of the best, signed Bittlesham, and made out to the order of R. Little. What's that for? Expenses, said Bingo, pouching it. 
you don't suppose an investigation like this can be carried on for nothing do you i now proceed to the bank and startle them into a fit with it later i edge round to my bookie and put the entire sum on ocean breeze what you want in situations of this kind bertie is tact if i had gone to my uncle and asked him for fifty quid would i have got it no but by exercising tact oh by the way what do you think of charlotte well er young bingo massaged my sleeve affectionately i know old man i know don't try to find words she bowled you over eh left you speechless what i know that's the effect she has on everybody well i leave you here laddie oh before we part but what of but nature's worst blunder don't you think i must say i've seen cheerier souls i think i've got him licked bertie charlotte is coming over to the zoo with me this afternoon alone and later on to the pictures that looks like the beginning of the end what well toodaloo friend of my youth if you've nothing better to do this morning you might take a stroll along bond street and be picking out a wedding present i lost sight of bingo after that i left messages a couple of times at the club asking him to ring me up but it didn't have any effect i took it that he was too busy to respond the sons of the red dawn also passed out of my life though jeeves told me he had met comrade butt one evening and had a brief chat with him he reported butt as gloomier than ever in the competition for the bulging charlotte butt had apparently gone right back in the betting mr little would appear to have eclipsed him entirely sir said jeeves bad news jeeves bad news yes sir suppose what it amounts to jeeves is that when young bingo really takes his coat off and starts in there is no power of god or man that can prevent him from making a chump of himself it would seem so sir said jeeves then goodwood came along and i dug out the best suit and popped down i never know when i'm telling a story whether to cut the thing down to plain facts or whether to drool on and shove in a lot of atmosphere and all that i mean many a cove would no doubt edge into the final spasm of this narrative with a long description of goodwood featuring the blue sky the rolling prospect the joyous crowds of pickpockets and the parties of the second part who were having their pockets picked and in a word what not but better give it a miss i think even if i wanted to go into details about the ballet meeting i don't think i'd have the heart to the thing's too recent the anguish hasn't had time to pass you see what happened was that ocean breeze curse him finished absolutely nowhere for the cup believe me nowhere these are the times that try men's souls it's never pleasant to be caught in the machinery when a favorite comes unstitched and in the case of this particular dashed animal one had come to look on the running of the race as a pure formality a sort of quaint old world ceremony to be gone through before one sauntered up to the bookie and collected i had wandered out of the paddock to try and forget when i bumped into old biddlesham and he looked so rattled and purple and his eyes were standing out of his head at such an angle that i simply pushed my hand out and shook his in silence me too i said me too how much did you drop drop on ocean breeze i did not bet on ocean breeze what you owned the favorite for the cup and didn't back it 
I never bet on horse racing. It is against my principles. I'm told that the animal failed to win the contest. Failed to win? Why, he came so far behind that he nearly came in first in the next race. Tut, said old Biddlesham. Tut is right, I agreed. Then the rumminess of the thing struck me. But if you haven't dropped a parcel over the race, I said, why are you looking so rattled? That fellow is here. What fellow? That bearded man. It will show you to what an extent the iron had entered into my soul when I say this was the first time I had given a thought to young Bingo. I suddenly remember now that he had told me he would be at Goodwood. He is making an inflammatory speech at this very moment, specifically directed at me. Come, where the crowd is. He lugged me along, and by using his weight scientifically, got us into the front rank. Look, listen. Young Bingo was certainly tearing off some ripe stuff, inspired by the agony of having put his little all on a stumer that hadn't finished in the first six he was fairly letting himself go on the subject of the blackness of the hearts of plutocratic owners who allowed a trusting public to imagine a horse was the real goods when it couldn't trot the length of its stable without getting its legs crossed and sitting down to rest he then went on to draw what i'm bound to say was a most moving picture of the ruin of the working man's home due to this dishonesty he showed us the working man all optimism and simple trust believing every word he read in the papers about ocean breezes form depriving his wife and children of food in order to back the brute going without beer so as to be able to cram an extra bob on robbing the baby's money box with a hat pin on the eve of the race and finally getting let down with a dud dashed impressive it was i could see how old robotham nodded his head gently while poor old butt glowered at the speaker with ill-conceived jealousy the audience ate it but what does lord biddlesham care shouted bingo if the poor working man loses his hard-earned savings i tell you friends and comrades you may talk and you may argue and you may cheer and you may pass resolutions but what you need is action action the world won't be a fit place for honest men to live in till the blood of Lord Bittlesham and his kind flows in rivers down the gutters of Park Lane. Roars of approval from the populace, most of whom, I suppose, had their little bit on blighted ocean breeze and were feeling it deeply. Old Bittlesham bounded over to a large, sad policeman who was watching the proceedings and appeared to be urging him to rally round. The policeman pulled at his moustache and smiled gently, but that was as far as he seemed inclined to go, and old Bittlesham came back to me, puffing not a little. It's monstrous. The man definitely threatens my personal safety, and that policeman declines to interfere. Said it was just talk. Talk! It's monstrous. Absolutely, I said, but I can't say it seemed to cheer him up much. Comrade Butt had taken the center of the stage now. He had a voice like the last trump and you could hear every word he said, but somehow he didn't seem to be clicking. I suppose the fact was he was too impersonal, if that's the word I want. After Bingo's speech, the audience was in the mood for something a good deal snappier than just general remarks about the cause. They had started to heckle the poor blighter pretty freely when he stepped in the middle of a sentence, and I saw that he was staring at old Bittlesham. The crowd thought he had dried up, Suck a lodging, shouted someone. Comrade Butt 
pulled himself together with a jerk and even from where i stood i could see the nasty gleam in his eye ah he yelled you may mock comrades you may jeer and sneer and you may scoff but let me tell you the movement is spreading every day and every hour yes even amongst the so-called upper classes it's spreading perhaps you'll believe me when i tell you that here today on this very spot we have in our little band one of our most earnest workers the nephew of that very lord biddlesham whose name you were hooting but a moment ago and before old bingo had a notion of what was up he reached out a hand and grabbed the beard it came off in one piece and well as bingo's speech had gone it was simply nothing compared with the hit made by this bit of business i heard old biddlesham give one short sharp snort of amazement at my side and then any remarks he may have made were drowned in thunders of applause. I'm bound to say that in this crisis young Bingo acted with a good deal of decision and character. To grab Comrade Butt by the neck and try to twist his head off was with him the work of a moment. But before he could get any results, the sad policeman, brightening up like magic, had charged in, and in the next minute he was shoving his way back through the crowd, with Bingo in his right hand, and Comrade Butt in his left. Let me pass, sir, please, he said civilly, as he came up against old Biddlesham, who was blocking the gangway. Eh? said old Biddlesham, still dazed. At the sound of his voice, young Bingo looked up quickly from under the shadow of the policeman's right hand, and as he did so, all the stuffing seemed to go out of him with a rush. For an instant he drooped like a bally lily, and then shuffled brokenly on, his air was the air of a man who has got it in the neck properly. Sometimes, when Jeeve has brought in my morning tea and shoved it on the table beside my bed, he drifts silently from the room and leaves me to go at it. At other times, he sort of shimmies respectfully in the middle of the carpet, and then I know that he wants a word or two. On that day after I'd got back from Goodwood, I was lying on my back, staring at the ceiling when I noticed that he was still in my mist. "'Oh, hello,' I said. "'Yes? Mr. Little called early in the morning, sir.' "'Oh, by Jove! What? Did he tell you about what happened?' "'Yes, sir. It was in connection with that that he wished to see you. He proposes us to retire to the country and remain there for some little while.' "'Gosh, sensible!' "'That was my opinion also, sir.' There was, however, a slight financial difficulty to overcome. I took the liberty of advancing him ten pounds on your behalf to meet current expenses. I trust that meets with your approval, sir. Oh, of course, take a tenner off the dressing-table. Very good, sir. Jeeves, I said. Sir, what beats me is how the dickens the thing happened. I mean, how did the chappy butt ever get to know who he was? Jeeves coughed. There, sir, I feel I may have been somewhat to blame. You? How? I fear I may carelessly have disclosed Mr. Little's identity to Mr. Butt on the occasion when I had that conversation with him. I sat up. What? Indeed, now that I recall the incident, sir, I distinctly remember saying that Mr. Little's work for the cause really seemed to me to deserve something in the nature of public recognition. I greatly regret having been the means of bringing about a temporary estrangement between Mr. Little and his lordship. And I am afraid there is another aspect to this matter. 
I am also responsible for the breaking off of relations between Mr. Little and the young lady who came to tea here. I sat up again. It's a rummy thing, but the silver lining had absolutely escaped my notice till then. Do you mean to say it's off? Completely, sir. I gathered from Mr. Little's remarks that his hopes in that direction may now be looked on as definitely quenched. There were no other obstacle. The young lady's father, I am informed by Mr. Little, now regards him as a spy and a deceiver. Well, I'm dashed. I appear inadvertently to have caused much trouble, sir. Jeeves, I said. Sir, how much money is there on the dressing table? In addition to the ten-pound note which you instructed me to take, sir, there are two five-pound notes, three one-pounds, a ten shillings, two half-crowns, a florin, four shillings, a sixpence, and a halfpenny, sir. Collar it all, I said. You've earned it. End of chapter.